Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Rocky Edition. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the Sylvester Stallone lover like myself. We are in the bag. Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Pain. <laughs> Is the uh, Razzie-nominated Mr. T. I was going to say, you you have a lot of lines to choose from in this movie. Oh, yeah. A lot. Well, I, But I wanted to do something from the, once again, Razzie-nominated Mr. T. Which is absurd. Just shows you... If I, if I wasn't done with those people after finding out that Peter Cook and Faye Dunaway were nominated for Supergirl... Right. Believe me, I am now. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's that they don't understand cinema. They definitely don't understand screen acting. Right. In about a year's time, Mr. T will become one of the biggest stars in television. Not only that. In a TV series. I'm going to save it, but. In a TV series with some of the best actors in television and Dirk Benedict. I, I don't mean that. That's not fair. That I, was, I love me. That was pejorative. Lo- that was not I love nice. me. A, I know I'm joking. It's an easy mark. I love me a bit of Dirt Benedict. How dare and you? And you don't, I'm sorry, you don't get, achieve that level of fame without being an arresting screen presence. Right. I'm not saying I understand all of his acting choices in this movie. And yes, he looks in the lens a little too much. <laughs> but this is one of the most fascinating screen debuts I've ever, ever. seen. Ever. And, uh, you know, you have to discount Penitentiary 2 if you want to think about that as a, this is a screen debut. Of course, of fine. course. This movie this movie says introducing. I'll buy it, even though he did Penitentiary 2. Did you notice his, his, uh, his, his signature, his autograph on the drum? <laughs> no, no, but nothing's... That's the great thing. Nothing surprises me. They're revealing Rocky when... statue. and You just see a close-up on a drum and it says Mr. T. There's a story from... Uh, Fucking amazing. There's a story from when Boy George cameoed in the A-Team. He tells a story about um, Mr. T that every time he would come over and talk to anyone, he would tell endless stories about himself. <laughs> and so Boy George took to hiding in his trailer every time... And, and he knew that Mr. T was coming... Because he could hear the jingle jangle of his jewelry. <laughs> so every time he heard that, he ran into his trailer to hide so he wouldn't have to hear a series of stories about Mr. T from Mr. T. Oh, that's fucking great. But, you know, I, I was trying to put myself in the mindset of someone in 1982 seeing Mr. T for the first time. I do not know what you would make of this guy. And I guess that's how Stallone felt when he cast him. Well, I mean, I could tell you that... 
I, I think I was in the fourth grade when this movie came out, and that's how we felt. We were like, the bad guy's got a mohawk. He looks so fucking mean. <laughs> like, we were so excited for this villain. He's wearing dream catchers on his ears. Yeah. You know, what What the fuck is going on? <laughs> and what the fuck is going on is a great entry point into this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, once again, I'm a How Dare You Awards man, not a Razzie's man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very because, much. Because you appreciate... An actor like Mr. T instead of instantly dismissing him. Worst new star. What even is that category? Right. That's just like, hey, you're something different. Fuck you. Worst second try. Worst worst third movie. Like you could just go on and on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Rocky Three, a 1982 film directed by Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Tom, this movie's all the way at 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a very good movie. Not if you uh, talk to certain people. <laughs> like, <laughs> talk to people who who are not living in a, <laughs> in, a, in, a in a haze of, of Stallone love. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Fortunately, we don't have that problem on this podcast. <laughs> well... It had a budget of $17 million, an opening weekend of $12.4 million. In the USA, $125 million. Oh, and in the world. So in the USA and the world, $125 million. Mm. No wonder they kept making them. <laughs> right. Smash I, I will say this. I will say this feels like a new phase in the series, even more so than Rocky Two did. Oh, absolutely. I feel like this is a springboard to go on and do other mad stuff. Yeah. In a way that Rocky Rocky Two, you know, like you, you have to you either remake Rocky again or you make this kind of movie which says all bets are off. Right. We're gonna do what we want from now on. It's gonna Forever. be a weird ride every time. Until, until, like, they ride the roller coaster until it crashes in Rocky Five. It just flies off the rails. Yeah. And then Rock, Rocky Balboa is the salad Final Destination operation. 3 style. But. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we like? No, isn't that the one we yeah, like? It is. Isn't that our favorite one? But it one? does have a roller coaster going off the rails. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. That's the crash. Uh, so, okay. What I find interesting about this movie is it really does sit in the middle of the Rocky series. And particularly between mm. the first two movies and the fourth movie, and I don't mean just numerically. I mean <laughs> I don't mean just numerically either. <laughs> what I mean is the look of the film yes. would seem to denote that he's still thinking about uh, you know, gritty Philadelphia. Mm through the lens of the camera. That's that's what the movie looks like. Right. We're not in the saturated mid-80s, eight, but, but we're clearly in the 80s as a filmmaker and as a movie. I but agree, we're not completely. fully into 1985 Rocky IV, where it's full. I mean, we are full 80s. So this movie lands yes. in both 70s and 80s territory as a movie, the way it looks and the way it feels. But Ronald Reagan... His America, 
the well ronald reagan is pictured rocky is pictured with ronald reagan in this movie right. which is perhaps the most unnecessary shot yeah, exactly exactly like, <laughs> we don't need to see reagan to know that reagan has his fingerprints all, all over, over this movie, this movie. And it's funny because this is the second time we're talking about this because we talked about it for First Blood Part 2 as well. Yes. So Stallone himself seems to be, like, wrapping him. He's waddling himself in the blanket of Murica as seen through the eyes of Ronald Reagan. Yeah, yes. I don't again, I'm I'm always I'm always hesitant. I know that is a established line of thought about Stallone, but I I always think there are a, there's a few com, there's a few complications and qualifications here and there. I don't know if he's as thoroughly Reaganite as he might seem on the surface. See, I think that like I've had a conversation for the other podcast, I mean, <laughs> okay. So you you already decided that I'm this, wrong, which is this fine. is a 1982 <laughs> movie, so I had to talk about it with Matthew Aldrich, who who had an adverse reaction to the movie, and yeah. well, at some point, well, to its to to the number uh, in the title, yes, yeah. <laughs> as we've discussed, he's allergic to. He threes, doesn't like threes. Um, but at some point, I don't know. I think, I think, especially compared to the next movie, which is pure uh, Cold War propaganda. Sure, this movie finds some holes in Reagan's America that the next movie doesn't. I think. Okay, I mean, I'll I'll go along with that, but which is not. But to I say think there's some overall... unconscious shit in this movie too. Oh yeah, that Matt actually woke me up to. No, I I. I... It might be we might be having we might have different examples, but I guarantee you we're talking about the same stuff. Um, and you know we'll get there as we'll get there as the movie goes on. But I want to go back to some to what you said very astutely that that while the look of this movie is is riffing off the first two Rocky movies, mm-hmm. for me it's the um, it's the editing of this movie that is puts it firmly in the eighties. Yes. And that's partly about, and I think I made reference to this before, Stallone's competency as a filmmaker is also coming through here. You can tell he's learning the tricks of the trade when it comes to using montages and interfades and the pace uh, of the the way that the scenes open and close and a fa- you know more faster pace. Forced that, zoom. That's partly about... The forced zoom in about, on, on Mickey. Yeah, it's partly about and split screen. You know, mm-hmm. it's partly about com- competence with the devices of, of filmmaking, as much as it is about you know uh, a time in cinema where um, this kind of heightened style is very commonplace. So I think it's a conflation of the of the two, um, but it's very clear. For and uh, what I, what I love about this movie in every respect is that it sets its stall out from from moment one you never you you're never in two minds about what this movie is mm-hmm. uh, and that is very different it's very different from what the first two absolutely movies are, and i admire and respect that as, as i always do um but you you can tell that the style is laid on a lot thicker oh yeah in this movie 
but that's but, but I also right. think that it's what a, he's going it's a, it's for, a really, he's going it, for, it's a really, he's going for style in his filmmaking that matches the monetary benefits of what the character's going through, which to me is really interesting. And that's the other really interesting parallel here is, um, in the the the, the characterization of Rocky is changing in the context of the fictional universe because he's becoming comfortable with fame. Mm -hmm. uh, he's become wealthy. He, he now can do commercials. You know, he's a, he now can read the auto cue, yeah. apparently, uh, and to a high degree, you know, to a high level after reading that Edgar Rice Burroughs book. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, exactly. So he, it's it's which is partly about where Rocky's storyline has gone. But it's fairly clear that it's also to keep pace with how Stallone's external celebrity persona has changed yes. over the past few years. Like it's all about it's all about meeting Rocky and it's in meeting in the middle between Stallone and the character of Rocky. Like both elements are going on at the at same once. time, and, right? And one of the things I think, you know, you could definitely hold against this movie if you were being harsh, but. I actually think is one of the most enjoyable aspects of the movie is that at some point, the fourth wall of this movie comes down <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and the rest, like there is, there is this kind of reality slippage between the diegetic world and the non-diegetic world. In well, here. because I mean, first of all, we're going to get the beginnings of both Mr. T and Hulk Hogan <laughs> right. in one movie. Right. I mean, and and the closest we come so far, and these two so are going to dominate the eighties. They're going to dominate everything we're seeing and doing yeah. and talking about for that decade. And so will Stallone. Yeah. Um. But but you know the, there are various points in this movie where it's clear that we're speaking both to you know the off-screen Stallone as much as we are the on-screen Rocky. Right. Um. I mean, as soon as they're as synonymous, as a, they're one and the same almost. Well, at this point they are, but they haven't been before. And I sort of think this is where that the the line between the two breaks down the most. And I I I see this. This is a pleasure of the movie to me. This is not a criticism. I know some people could could use that to attack the movie. I'm choosing not to because because this movie not only is it very clear that it's doing that. You know, from the first montage, we see more of Stallone than we do of Rocky. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, we we get a character that's closer to the, the the person we know as Stallone than the character we know as Rocky. I mean, we see actual footage of Stallone on The Muppet Show. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And they do this ten times over in the movie in various ways. You know, a, a, a marching band within the movie plays the Rocky theme. Mm -hmm. Um, there's this constant slippage and back and forth between the lives of Stallone and the life, life of Rocky. The statue, a real life statue of Sylvester right. Stallone as Rocky, standing in in the movie as a statue of Rocky. You know, we don't know what's real anymore in this movie. <laughs> and that leads perfectly We're through the into looking the glass here, people. <laughs> that leads perfectly into the theme of the movie, which is wrestling. <laughs> A sport predicated on not knowing what's real and what's fake. 
And so for that to be the focal point of, of the movie, I think everything in this movie works well together. It's like theme, content, style, everything is is on the same page. And you know, I've said before, this to me is a wrestling movie and the, the Hulk Hogan uh, set piece at the beginning tells us how the rest of the movie dramatically is going to play out and that is like a wrestling match mm-hmm. in, every, in every respect. And if you tune into that and think about nothing else... <laughs> This may be one of the best movies you'll ever see. <laughs> but you have to tune in. And that's it. You have to meet this You have you to have meet, to meet movie the movie halfway. on a certain level. And then on yeah. that level, it's always going to work. If you're not willing to do that, you're going to have problems. But yeah. But the political stuff still rankles. And, and it, you know, that's something that that ages and dates worse than superficial elements like the the sort of dated style elements of mm-hmm. it. The dated political elements of it are very hard to take, especially when, as we've said before, none of these problems have in any way been addressed. Ever. Or, you know, come anywhere close to being solved. And so uh, that's that aspect of it sucks. But this and the next movie are, to me, masterclasses in how you set generic expectations for a movie. And to yeah, do that in the middle of a... Fra- to do that in the middle of a franchise, which is ostensibly about boxing, the next two movies aren't about boxing. <laughs> <laughs> so y- you've got a lot of challenges here about about uh, preparing the audience for what they're about to see. And I think both these movies uh, handle it beautifully. Well, and so, I mean, starting at the top, like the first thing you like literally out of the gates, of course, you're going to have a wrap up from Rocky Two, So you're going to see the ending fight. But not a meat, not that meaty chunk that we used. No, to. exactly. So it's going to lot. F- it's not not it's... only is it are you just really going to see the very end, but you're also going to see the getting up re-edited so that it takes <laughs> not as long. Yes. So that we could get to him winning so that we can go immediately into 80s music montage so that we can like <laughs> set the stage of what his life is like right now. But the way you're the way the way you just phrased it makes me realize that the recap is also a montage. Yes. So we have a montage before we have the montage. Right. <laughs> that is incredible. Well, uh, between three and four, I mean, yeah. The, like, like I said, like Rocky Four is literally thirty percent music montages, and the last half they, of the movie is fifty percent. <laughs> it's interesting in regards to what you're saying about this being like a hybrid in many ways. This opening, sorry, this 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 second opening montage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Normally, we get two cold opens in Rocky in the Rocky series. We get two, two opening montages, two cold open montages. Um, there is character development, yes. and passage of time. Right. Like they serve a real narrative purpose. I, I don't feel that these are these are here for style alone. I mean, it's pure music video. But that's what—that's part of the thing that I love about Stallone himself. He—he he really has a keen understanding of that, and everybody gives yeah. Rocky Four a lot of shit, but the the things that he does works. And I—I I mean, we're gonna get to that movie when we get to that movie. But I got lots to yeah. say on the subject. But 
to your point, yes, the music montage feels very 80s. I mean, like, we all know. Survivor. Yeah. Eye of the Tiger. Exactly. But, but you're right in the sense of, like, it does show a narrative purpose. It shows where he is in his life. It shows... Yeah. Uh, the, the number, like, we see him fighting many, many people, so you know that he's yeah. fought at least a half a dozen guys, and that that takes right. time, so you know that there's a passage of time. Um, you also know that the time, because up to this point, um, time, it's the, the time scale of the first two movies are continuous. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time lapse, so right. you need to address it stylistically, which he does. Absolutely. And then you you know, you get Adrian becoming more glamorous, right. Paulie becoming more discontented and, and a, a more of an alcoholic, Rocky easing into the world of celebrity. Mm-hmm. Clubber is introduced. Yeah, right. During This is the first new character we've had in two movies. Yeah, exactly. It's a big deal. And But again, you handled, know, I, it's handled call, so efficiently, Tom. It's really handled efficiently. It's beautifully done. It's efficiently done. I'm going to call Secret Smart Guy on the cine literacy side. <laughs> this is a guy who saw Raging Bull and thought... Uh, he saw that, you know, the, there's a very similar sequence in Raging uh-huh. Bull. Um, which is like the only color part of the movie where you sort of see right. a, a passage of time where you see like home footage interspersed with his fights. And it, it it's... It's it. I mean, the tone couldn't be more different, obviously. <laughs> right. It's a very different movie. But clearly, you know, he's look, He's looking around at what other movies in this genre are doing to tell the story. And making it his own. And doing, like... This movie's 20 minutes shorter than the previous right. two movies. Yeah. And a big part of that is because he he's becoming slicker and... And more pacey in the way that well, that not he's just that, but like the story, the, like that's part of the eighties too. That's that, that's why the eighties <laughs> yeah, are filled with so many music montages because the movies themselves right. become a little bit slicker. So he's leaning and into then, that, you know, but this... he's like he's still got his foot on the other side too. And then, well, then you get. I mean, the highlight for me of, of every montage in this series is when you it's like. What what's like the key contrast gonna be between the two fighters? Mm-hmm. And here, you know, you get still, you know, and again, this is a completely new concept that Rocky is, as we knew Creed to be, a commercial commodity, yeah. and he's represented that way. And then Clubber Lang is represented as just raw animal power, yeah. and then they they use a split screen to do it, right? Right, which we've not seen before, and we will see again. So it's you know it's using it's using technology, it's the cutting edge of technology, cutting edge of film style. To tell the story, and like, that's just filmmaking. Like, <laughs> why? Who wouldn't like this that? This is not shallow. This is like, this is not like this. This is not frivolous. Nothing in this movie is as frivolous as it might seem on the surface. Once it's you enjoy it on a level of spectacle and style and entertainment, and when it's finished, you go, "Oh, that actually mattered a lot." Yeah, to me, there's there's <laughs> substance underneath everything that, even the gloss of the character himself, because 
part of such a hook for this story is the idea of once you, especially for an athlete, once you've made it to the top of the mountain for boxing, you can come become complacent. Right. You know, everybody knows that Buster well, Douglas beat the shit out of Mike Tyson because Mike Tyson didn't prepare for Buster Douglas. I assume that's correct. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 it's fine. Some people listening will appreciate that. Um, but that you, you, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, <laughs> again, like... This, just because a screenplay is on the nose doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, often it means it's good. Mm-hmm. And later on, there's this. Then the movies do this, like the 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 key the theme of each movie, which is each one is different. Yeah, there's a separate theme for each movie. And Mickey says it out loud. He says, "You know, you got civilized." Right. That's what this movie's about. But and he says it's the worst both... thing that could happen to a fighter. Right. You got civilized. But that is both. That is both clever, because it's a, you know, it's a, it's an entirely new line of storytelling that we haven't explored before. Um, For Rocky, but it's also necessary. It's also necessary because, yeah, we've seen it in Creed. We've seen it through the opponent. We've never seen it yeah. through the main character. Um, but it's also necessary because Stallone, the actor, has changed mm-hmm. physically. In, I mean, they have this uh, great theories. line from Polly at the beginning of this movie. When Polly, 80s alert, he's in an arcade. When he throws the bottle at the Rocky pinball machine and he gets arrested, he has this great line after he gets bailed out where he's saying, you're doing so good. Got your face all fixed up. <laughs> you know, like, you yeah. know, like Stallone is willing to, to say. And suited and upright. We've never seen Rocky standing upright before. With good posture. <laughs> And this is what's interesting to me. And again, this is going to sound like an attack on the movie. And it is anything but. For me, this movie is where the character... We're furthest away from the essential character of Rocky. Mm -hmm. Part of that is in context, because that's what the character's going through. He's losing his identity. But part of that is we're trying to bring more of Stallone and how he appears in the 1980s into the Rocky movies. I do not think this is a bad thing. And I'm going to say, I prefer this. I prefer losing the character of Rocky to having the character of Rocky and the performance being garbage, which is Rocky V. Right. (laughs) The character can be spot on. If the performance is bad, that sucks. Yeah. This is interesting. This is metafilmically interesting and it also makes perfect sense within the character arc that is presented to us. We're going to hear from Matt Aldrich. Let's uh, take a first break and then we'll come back and we'll uh, let, uh, let... I pi- let, me, let me let me say I pity the fool <laughs> if he tries to take both of us on at once. We're, we're going to tag team. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back. I'll tell you the nature of his problem which he actually has somewhat turned me around on. Like, it was something I wasn't giving a lot of credence to, and it's a problem in the movie, but I will... Credence or creed? Were you giving credence to it? All right, we'll be right back, everyone. Stay tuned. (laughs) 
I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the 1982 sequel, Rocky Three. All right, Tom. By the way, I don't know if we have mentioned this on our uh, ranking episodes, except for Rocky Balboa, I believe, like Stallone himself has given all of these movies uh, like a measurement, like a score out of 10. Of course he has. And this one is nine out of 10. <laughs> Still. Yeah. When did he do that, though? I that's don't know when question. he did it. That's 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 a fair question. I believe Rocky and two and Rocky four are seven point five. Rocky five zero. I think I think this might be out of date information, <laughs> given what he said about Rocky four days ago. Right. <laughs> oh, he was he wanted to. He still thinks it's a seven point five, but he wanted to turn it into a nine. Probably is like I'm just thinking Stallone thoughts now, but that's interesting because the more I the more I process these movies as individual movies, and that's been my huge problem. I've never been able to separate them from the mm-hmm. kind of continuous reel of 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 Rocky films. You're right. I think three and four are about about equal. Well, and and how good they are, you mean? Yeah, they like okay. I put Rocky Four lower, but I I don't know. Like they have the equal amount of problems, equal amount of charms. I I don't. Which is interesting. I always felt Rocky Three was was better, but I don't know that it, it is that much better. No, it's not. I know you. <laughs> I know you think Four's better. I put Four way up there. But they're both really impressive movies that impressed despite their obvious flaws and i think that's that's why yeah. i kind of see that's why i've kind of pitched well so let me ask level. you this what do you think is this movie's biggest flaw and and like let's keep it in the realm of the political stuff is, is that okay it, well that's that makes it easier because yeah. <laughs> um, that was matt aldrich's biggest problem he thought that okay. this was an incredibly racist movie yes um so I think, which I don't think he's wrong about. Like, no, he's like, not wrong. He's know. not wrong. Um, so Clubber is a very problematic representation, right. of an African American. That was it's really that's my biggest problem with the movie. So we're introduced to Apollo Creed, 
who is the enemy, yeah. but who is ex- you took the words right out of my exceedingly mouth. charming. He he is the he is the exact example of a great champion. You know, and you know, you'll know more about this than me. But as I understand it, Creed is a composite of of several real life fighters. I mean, he's Ali. The, he's Muhammad Ali. Right. I was gonna say at least when he's at least in the way he deals with the media, yeah. he's you know hundred percent Muhammad Ali. But Clubber Lang is too, because there was always an aspect of Muhammad Ali that the white establishment were uncomfortable with, right. which was his activism. And that's what Clubber Lang represents. Right. And so what's kind of interesting... But what I don't you... like about... Because like, like, it's leaned into heavy in this movie to the point where... and it's But it's interesting because Apollo Creed is a black man. Clubber Lang is a black man. But now we're in the 80s and it's Reagan's America yeah. and all of a sudden the black man is really evil. We're, we're He's saying, hey, Adrian, come down here and I'll have sex with you. You're like a real man. This you know what I really, mean? Like, by the way, this is a this is a really poor excuse for a for a, a dialogue between two people because as soon as I stop talking, you are saying the very thing <laughs> that I am about to say. Okay? Sorry, my bad. This is no, 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 no. I'm not. This is not a problem. This is like when twins get together, right? And it's just like one picks straight up from the other. We're starting yeah. to share sequel brain. Well, is that? But you know, I think. I mean, I have these exact notes. I, I I said, literally, this is the note I have written. I don't even need to adapt it. The shift from Creed to Lang seems to be a shift from perspective on African-Americans from Carter to Reagan. Exactly. I mean, that's it, yeah. isn't it? It's like, so, but, but it, it's interesting, you know, given that, given that Ali is the model for, um, is the model for Creed. It's the, the, "Quote unquote dark side of Muhammad Ali, his nation, you know, his nation of Islam membership, mm-hmm. his, you know, ability to just his desire to just say f you whenever, right, you know, uh, protesting Vietnam, just say I don't care what your rules are. Uh, this is my belief. Know, I'm, yeah, I'm not going. Well, I mean, you know that. Great and that takes courage. Said, That's not, real courage. I'm not going to kill other people. You know, I'm not going to go overseas and kill other people of color. Yeah. You know, um, and. He's the way that Club is represented as a non-conforming political radical person of color, mm-hmm. and that is construed in entirely negative. Exactly, terms. it's construed completely as negative. And it's a sh- and it's it's what makes that difficult is that in the wrestling version of this movie, he's the heel. Right. Exactly. So he doesn't. So in that in that dimension, he doesn't need to be rounded and developed. He actually needs to be as villainous as possible for the drama to work. And so, do you think that's co- a conscious choice from Stallone? Hundred okay. percent. Hulk Hogan's in this movie. There's a <laughs> there's a wrestling match that goes on for fifteen minutes. <laughs> well, you don't do and I'll that. Tell you, you don't do that in a movie that is you're not trying to tell people is a wrestling yeah, movie. I'll tell you the the thing that that also where I give the movie a bit of a break is Stallone's at least it's smart enough. Despite the fact that that, that that what you're describing as the villainous villain who has to be as villainous as possible, 
Yeah. Like you would in a wrestling match. Exactly. But he's also smart enough to bring up race within the movie itself. Yes. Through Polly, because it's Polly that has lines like, you know, let's leave before they leave us for dead. There's no class in here. I don't like these people. He says, I mm-hmm. don't like these people. He says, uh, yeah. and then it's Sylvester Stallone that says, well, maybe they don't like you, Polly. <laughs> His response is, what did I do to them? It's which is so on the money for a bigot and a racist. Yes. To like teach. But through that bigot and racist, teach the audience a little lesson about. Yes, exactly. Polly, what what did you do to them? What did they do to you? You know, so the movie's writing a very fine line here with Polly, as you do with ra- with racist characters in anything. And it doesn't help that he says he's the voice of the unsilent majority in the next movie. Right. Because part of because in some senses, as you're saying, he is re- his racism is clownish. Right. And then there's another part of you that thinks, is he dog whistling to the racists in the audience? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have this same tension, I think, with and we're skipping ahead, but we're talking about politics, so it's OK. Yeah. Um, when they get to L.A. and, you know, the most important. They're in the most impoverished, apparently the most impoverished part of section. Los Angeles Los that's Angeles. filled with African-Americans. It's, well, it's but it's not. That's what that's what struck me. And this is where I think, again, it's like the whole this is where I see. Well, the I guess I'm thinking the of the boxing vision. gym, but that's when you get into the yeah. boxing gym. But outside, it's almost 50 50 black and mm-hmm. white, which like I don't know what to like I don't know what to make of that because as someone who's left wing I would immediately be going like well doesn't look like Reagan's America is helping white people either and they're the people who are supposed to benefit <laughs> right right yeah but I also feel that it's like maybe the maybe that's just white privilege of you know Let's make sure it's 50-50 in every shot. Let's make sure there's as many white people and as black people on the streets. Right. So we don't get accused of racism. Like, I don't know. But there's that is potentially a progressive statement to say, to say, you know, uh, Reagan, the working class and middle class that you're trying to save are all sitting in the streets homeless. Yeah. Um. So, again, I think... It's always more complicated than it looks on the surface. Um, and you're writing a very fine line with all of it. Yeah. Uh, but it's unmistakable when Clubber Lang comes on to Adrian in that press conference. It's it's hard to watch. But but again, that is like something you would get in a wrestling match. Right. That's WWF. Well, so... and so, like, let's talk about that because... And there's so much of that in this movie. Oh, so, yeah. so much of all, like, there's more fighting outside the ring than in yeah, the ring. Right, in right. <laughs> which is pure WWF, yeah. right? Right. You start in you start in the corridors before you even get in the ring. Well, and I want to talk about Hulk Hogan as Thunderlips, because what's interesting to me is that both Hulk Hogan and Mr. T, who are and of course, Mr. T more so because at a certain point, Hulk Hogan drops the veneer of Thunderlips and it's just like, good match. It's like, what'd you go so nuts on me for? That's the name of the game. 
But yeah, like, it's... they're both like, I want to talk about that scene in depth because as a kid, that's what you fell in love with. Well, it's like Thunder Lips coming out was, you were like, this is fucking amazing. Oh, but, interesting. But politically, what I find interesting is that like both characters are represented as villainous, right? Like Hulk Hogan's out of his mind and Mr. T can't even be talked to. He's such an angry black man. But <laughs> but um I think what's, we're really proving Matt's point now. Wait, aren't but we? what's <laughs> interesting to me is that both of those men through this movie America fell in love with. Right. Like who well, like who they were as entertainers, you know, like went through these characters they were playing. Like we could see we fell in love with them anyway. He said pity the fool. And that, in this that, movie. that was it. That was we were we were we we fell in love. No, I, what I mean what I mean is like obviously years and years of the A team would would sort of solidify his iconic status in American culture. Sure. But the elements of, of, I mean, B.A. B. Baracus is a, is, is a, a hero, but mm-hmm. that's because Stephen J. Cannell is a genius. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> that's another story. Uh, <laughs> he took this guy who was like classic villain and turned him into like one of the most positive characters on TV. Right. So, but, like the elements but of the But I think it has something to do here. with Mr. T himself. Like who he is as oh, a performer. Oh, 100%. Yeah, okay. I mean, he the raw material of this guy is just like perfect for the screen. Right. And I think I think he's doing a great job. I think it's a re- it's a magnificent performance. I do too. Fucking get your shit together. How dare um, you, Razzies? So I, it's really interesting that you said that like this is the part that like as that young people would kind of fall in love with, and if you're a wrestling fan, you you'll, yeah, because I mean, we were just, like, we were all over. You just come in your pants and die, wouldn't you? Yeah. If you were like young and into wrestling. You'd, you'd just be like, you'd be you'd be dead with a cum cum stained pair of pants yeah. in the audience. They'd have to wheel you out after ten minutes. I mean, I minutes. went to the San Diego Sports Arena to see my favorite like guy, the Junkyard Dog. And then Jimmy mm-hmm. Superfly Snooker and like I mean, you know. So again, I assume all this is correct information. It's all correct information. <laughs> yes. I have no way. I have no way of fact checking you. Um, the Iron Sheik but, lived. But I, I, but I approach this like as an as like an adult who sort of. You know, doesn't care much about wrestling, or uh, and is like you know jaded, cynical, middle-aged man. Uh-huh. Um, totally differently. Like when this started, the wrestling match when it felt... started. You mean? Yeah, when the yeah when when this whole set piece begins, yeah. like, and I think I remember this from previous viewings. I'm like. Okay, we got to get through this, and then we'll get to the good stuff. No, come on. <laughs> no, listen. This time, and again, knowing we would now we would talk about it, focusing more on the individual movie. I was just like, I was like, okay, here's Hulk Hogan again to remind us where we are in history, just like Gremlins to the new <laughs> right. batch. Um, but then, like, and then I'm like, oh god, this takes such a long time. And but but my mind shifted to. 
does this matter more than I think it does? <laughs> and that was when, you know, the light bulb above my head went off. Go, this is a wrestling movie. Yeah. This is tell we're spending so much time on this because this is a microcosm of the rest of the exactly. movie. Exactly. But it's not like but I was sort of thinking like, oh well, here's the first fight of the movie and instead of like high stakes. Not including and drama, the montages we've got we already saw. <laughs> yeah, we've got <laughs> true, true. The first the first uh, present tense yeah. fight we've seen. Um and all the fights in the montage as well. Um but I mean, I was like, oh, it's like this. You you get everything you need to know about the rest of the movie through this one. Through watching yeah. this, through this. But lens. it's also ent- But it's also. But entertaining it's so entertaining. It's so- I mean, we talked in the last episode about the jokes in all of these movies. Oh, it's the great. jokes it's- in this movie are like, why are they carrying him? He's walking. <laughs> like, yeah. When when Stallone goes down to give you know his little cross on his you know chest yeah and mickey says i get nervous every time he does that these are well, great jokes i would all i would also add who would do this much for charity bob hope bob would, hope would. Yeah. <laughs> and mickey just agrees yeah. it's like the it's like the comic patter hasn't suffered uh. um but also you know we're also at that stage where you know i mean this has got to be for modern era wrestling like the 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 parkour in casino royale or the bungee jumping in goldeneye you know just the line when it this is when it it's sort of like now it's mainstream it's in a rocky movie it's a it's like it's big just the line the ultimate male versus the ultimate meatball like my younger brother said that for years oh speaking yeah speaking of things that people have been saying for years for at least 35 to 40 years, Tom, I have been saying, yeah. I don't sweat you. Yeah. I have been saying the Pauly line, I don't sweat you, for decades. But yeah, but again, I mean, you know, like you said, that great moment where Hulk Hogan just, you know, he's just like, you know, that's part of the, yeah. you know, he just he just drops the character. He drops the veneer, but, you know, yeah. It's, it's also his best acting moment in any movie I've ever exactly. seen him in. Um, but, but it's like, oh, you, you, you know, you're now in the frame of mind of everyone in this movie is playing a role a la a wrestling match. Like, I get mm-hmm. it. And again, it's about breaking the fourth wall, what's real, what's performed. Mm-hmm. It's all there. And on top of that, the final shot is of Clubber looking disgusted right. that this clown <laughs> is the heavyweight champion right. of the world. <laughs> so it, and you know, that's the, that feels like it's the straw that broke the camel's back. He's like, I'm going to challenge this guy to a fight in the middle of, in the middle of the his day where 70s. his statue is revealed. Yeah. And you know, all the, and we're getting the beginnings of conflict between Mickey and Rocky that will determine the rest of the, the right as well. So, so once you get past the kind of carnival-esque surface of this scene, which seems like it's just a frivolous distraction from the rest of the movie, it's actually once again important, crucial and exactly. central and says more about the movie than the actual real boxing match that happens later <laughs> on in the movie. So I really came around on that sequence uh, in this viewing. Nice. Well done, sir. <laughs> Well, and so I mean, we've already kind of, we've talked about the statue. I'm not the smart guy. <laughs> no, Stallone, Stallone is the is smart the guy. Smart guy. 
We'll say I'm it just, again. I just, you know, but he's a secret smart yeah. guy. So sometimes it takes more than one viewing to get there. <laughs> well, you only learned you only learned how smart he was on this last viewing. I mean, how many times did you see Rocky context, Three? Yeah. Yeah, because this, I mean, this is the height of secret smart guy pretending to be dumb. Right. And act and acting like acting like he's doing a dumb scene in a movie when in fact this is the key to the movie. <laughs> it unlocks the rest of the he's movie. He's hidden the key to the movie underneath the plant pot of this wrestling scene. Well, and so we we follow that with what we've already talked about and it's kind of criminally offensive the, the uh what happens at the statue revealment, but that's also oh, followed by uh but it's also a very good scene. It is, I know, right. <laughs> and I like it like a lot. Like Stallone is, I'm not Stallone, uh, Clubber Lang, Mr. T is so, like so good. So good in that scene. He's so villainous. Do you think they knew he was going to turn up? Everyone reacts. I mean, maybe it's just like, because you don't understand why this guy, like what, kind, it's like we've never seen a performer like this before. But everyone in that crowd looks genuinely surprised right. and horrified. <laughs> And confused. And Stallone, Stallone, Stallone didn't let anybody know except Mr. T. You're gonna come in. Um, that would be double secret probation, smart guy. But again, like the wrestling match is not over. This is just the part where no, yeah, you know the t- the two wrestlers are like, are like in the you know in the crowd fighting. Yeah. You know, it's it's in the middle or just like a press conference suddenly well and dramatically it raises dramatically it raises the stakes right like now rocky has to fight he has to defend the honor of his woman uh and all of that feels very wwf now wwe but whatever yeah um but uh, but but the thing that this movie does is it has those heightened elevated almost comical wrestling type scenes or or ideas followed by like an actual dramatic scene downbeats like downbeats yeah, absolutely dramatic downbeats and so yeah. and so the scene between him and Mickey where he learns oh. not that he was carried but like oh, these these fights were carefully cultivated so that you could protect your eye and protect your your life and but make some money and do this and be financially oh secure it's a great scene between those two it's an amazing it's an amazing scene despite the fact we're breaking over the events of the last movie again but it doesn't seem like it because it's such a good scene because burgess meredith uh, is so fucking good yeah and he's like it's really i mean it's really nice that they they gave him this kind of actor secret mm-hmm you know what yeah. I mean? He's carrying the secret that he's been carrying Rocky. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because, like, before this, you get the sense of, like, well, Rocky seems to be smart now. How and when did that happen? And this scene kind of reminds you that, oh, Mickey's just letting him think he's smarter than he is. Right. So now he has the air of being... Uh, the air of of, of seeming well losing weight and getting in even better shape and looking better and he doesn't understand it's like you know it's like high school it's like the veneer of the jock you know yeah but he does like he what mickey tells him in this scene is he doesn't you don't understand your own career right and how it works you and most important of all you don't understand that you can't beat this guy you haven't been he tells him you haven't been hungry since you won that belt 
And also, also, here's another great writing touch. Mickey's living in that yeah. house now. Right. So this scene takes place in Mickey's yeah. room in in the rock in the st- in the, in the Balboa, Balboa mansion. <laughs> and I don't know. There's something. I, I Burgess Meredith like he's leaning into that. He's leaning into this idea of he's like a, the teenager. Yeah. Right. Like he's gone to his room to sulk. And Rocky, ha- and he's leaving, isn't he? Like he's packing. Yeah. Like a te- like the kind of teenager. I'm leaving home. <laughs> um. It's, I mean, it's it's just beautiful. Um. Now here's my other big it- problem with the movie, though. All of this sets off his training for his Clubber Lang fight. I did always think that Rocky had something within him that was smarter than how he trains for that fight. And I also don't think Mickey would let him train like that for that fight. Now they have dialogue that tries to cover it up. Hey, let's go out in style, Mickey. Come on. And that's what's great about this series is, you know, when there's an illogical turn in the narrative, they They try try to... They throw... Yeah. They, like, throw multiple reasons why this makes sense to you. To the point where you're like, okay, okay, okay. Fine, 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 fine. Go on. Go on. Fine, fine, fine. Fine, it makes sense. It makes sense. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, that's that's definitely a... It's it's maybe having a little too much fun at the expense of narrative logic here mm-hmm. and char- and character, you know, character plausibility and all those things. But also, again, and we get to this in the next movie as well, it's it's a excess and this sort of escapist circus feel yeah. is also essential to this sequence because, you know... He's, um, he's the uh, the idea is Rocky's losing himself right. through self merchandising. He's his identity, and in order to represent that dramatically, you have to do it in a overly stylized, highly artificial way. So, I can see, but I but I agree that like that comes at the expense of the previous scene where exactly. I, it renders that next, scene moot, next though, movies, and I don't like that. There's too much character flip-flopping for me. What's that? In the next two movies, there's too much character flip-flopping and resetting mm-hmm. for me. There's a sense of, like, people feel what they feel when it help, when it's convenient to the plot and don't when it doesn't. Yeah, right. So that is definitely a victim of that. Do I enjoy this sequence immensely? Oh, yeah. Do I, I love the do. fact that it starts with horses and it's a dog and pony show? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Would Orson Welles do it the same way? Probably. <laughs> Not to give Stallone too much credit. Oh, I was going to but... say, boy, high praise for Sylvester Stallone. All right, let's take another break and then we'll come back and let's we'll finish up when we get back. How about that? Yes. Sadly, yes. I know. <laughs> I think I could talk about Rocky Free for four or five hours. Well, you probably have already between the two That's podcasts. True. That's true. All right, we'll be right back. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target. And check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. 
Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound-related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound, but as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target! Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target! That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we are back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the gem from 1982, Rocky Three. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> All right. Now, to me, this is when the movie for, goes to another level. I mean, we could we could talk about the fight itself, that first fight. I think it's interesting, by the way, <laughs> that Rocky has the first, You 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 mean the first fight with states? Yes, yeah, right. We, we've had about yeah, we eight have, of these fights had, so far. We have had like nine fights without stakes. This is the first one that really but, matters. But this is which, the first and this one is that a matters. big. There's only one fight in each of the first two movies. Right. And we've gone to like three major fights with lots of like el- fight ellipses in between. Yes. And that's the thing about this movie is, you know, I think I mentioned in our um, ranking episode. That um, this was something like Matt had turned me on to where he was saying, like, the movie has to bend over pretty far backwards to, like, turn him into an underdog again. And I mm. I don't know that he's completely I don't think he's wrong about that. But I, th- I think it's interesting. Like, it's like it's all the way until Rocky four before Rocky wins a fight for the first time. <laughs> Rocky 1, lose to Creed. Rocky 2, finally beat Creed. Rocky 3, we're just going to jam it all into one shorter movie. He's going to lose once and hmm. win once. Hmm, interesting. He's always losing first and then winning. Yeah. He's got He's always got to find well, greasy light, greasy, greasy fast lightning speed. It's interesting, you know, that I, I, I like that idea of bending over backwards to turn him back into an, an underdog. But if you put it in context, this is the beginning in the series. For the next two films, we'll be playing a game of sequel inversion musical chairs. Mm-hmm. The, everyone's archetype <laughs> is great. constantly changing. Yeah. So in the course of this movie, uh, like... Creed becomes Mickey. Creed becomes Mickey, and then Rocky becomes Creed, and then Lang becomes Rocky yeah. and Creed at the same time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's you know, it's that's part of the deal for these next two movies is that everyone is constantly swapping their original role for a new one that's replacing a role that has been left vacant by someone dying. Or and I was going to say, because we're always talking about taking big swings in these movies and killing Mickey is a big swing. Yeah. I would say it's the big, be- it's the beginning of a pattern of killing off yeah. characters before the actors themselves die. So, I mean, he's at least, and we had this, co- we had this conversation off air about, you know, in the back of my mind, Burgess Meredith 
dies in this movie because I thought he, you know maybe he's in ill health or he can't yeah, right. he's too infirm. 10 years later, grumpy, grumpy old, old man, man, he's stealing the movie from under <laughs> Walter Matto and Jack Lemon with his sexual innuendos. And when you're stealing a movie from Walter Matto and Jack Lemon, you're yeah. doing great work. Looks like he put the hot dog in the bun. <laughs> it's colder than a witch's titty out here. <laughs> so, so this is something that Stallone likes to do, and then later regrets if, uh, if, yeah. if his recent statements about killing off um, Carl Weathers is or anything to right. go by. But yes, I, I mean. It's, yeah, it's our first major legacy character who who um, dies and departs the series, and it won't be the last by a long Did shot. Did you notice, by the way, because I'm just seeing a note right now that shows, uh, it. I felt like I was seeing a lot more handheld work from the camera in this movie, and that shows a lack of privacy yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I... I so think, I was always um, noticing, like, on this viewing, I was noticing lots of directorial touches that... slow. I've got slow-mo punching, overhead shots, zooms and cuts, yeah. psycho sound again. Right. But that's in all of them. Um, well, I think he's developing the language here. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it, it really elevates in this movie. Um, but to me, the most impressive shot is at the beginning of this fight. Which is again a pull from Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, <laughs> which where the camera descends f through the rafters through, yeah. to the boxing ring, which happens. Not only does it ha that happen in Citizen Kane, it happens at the exact moment when uh, his wife, who he's um, turned into an opera singer before she's ready to do it, yeah. is giving her first performance. So not only is it like a visual pull, it's a character it's, it's like a character, a character pull too. Narrative yeah. pull. Secret smart guy strikes. I'm telling again. you. And it, you know what's funny about that was like I noticed it too. Cause that's one of the that's one of the lasting shots from Citizen Kane that I always remembered. Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 the showstopper of the yeah. movie. And you got the the. I thought we were even going to see a couple of like stagehands uh, pulling their noses, um, but it and but it also it also sets up what's interesting about this fight. What makes it I think different from any other fight maybe in the series is it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to lose. Right. It's definitely the first time we've seen that. But everything about the way this is written, directed, acted is telling us that he's not going to win this fight. So it's a fight with no stakes. But um, but that's the point, mm -hmm. and it's, so it's a very interesting experience because you don't. Well, and you know, you, you know he's gonna, ever. you know he's gonna lose even before Mickey gets sick by because of the training montage they show you. <laughs> well, as the, well, that's it. I mean, again, like this later on in the movie, the screenplay scrambles over reasons why Rocky lost the fight and it never decides. Mm -hmm. So it's like Creed says, you know, I know your manager died. But that's not why you lost the fight. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought that was why you lost the fight. It's like, okay, but um, there are actually, you know, there are multiple reasons. But you're going into this knowing that no matter how competitive he might seem, he's going to lose the fight. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, it's two fights with no stakes in a row, which might be a bit of a problem. <laughs> but um, I, you know, we've already established that first fight was the key to unlocking the rest of the movie and showing you what kind of yeah. movie we, we're in. So 
And then you got Mickey. I mean, Mickey dying in the changing room, which is is unbelievably sad and beautiful, and you know some of the best melodrama in the, some of the best melodrama, the and like a really great. I think it's a great moment of acting from Stallone. Yeah, it's, it's what I call earned melodrama. Yeah, like it's obviously it's ridiculous. That's a that, great you know, turn of phrase. Earned melodrama. I love that. <laughs> Like as Mickey's dying, he tells him he won the, won the fight, and and you know it's like in abstract, it's like oh, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> um, but but as you know, because because you've seen this relationship over three movies, you know how connected they are emotionally, yeah. and the fact that they rarely show that to each other, you're just like oh, it's it just just it reads as beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then, and this is an this is exactly what you're saying about it takes this kind of like goes from the heights of melodrama to like to to a kind of scene like a almost realistic scene that you might get in one of the first couple of movies right. is when he's being buried yeah and it's like no one says anything and you realize he's jewish uh, yeah exactly and i'm just like oh my god like the, the movie just pulls this out of nowhere like this really quiet there's not anybody scene. in the in the audience like who had seen Rocky one and Rocky two, who didn't think that Mickey was Catholic. Right. Exactly. And I just, you know, it's, it's done with nuance and grace and respect to both the actor and the character. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Rocky gets on a motorbike. We're looking at you Halloween, (laughs) Halloween five or or, uh, Halloween six rather, who who couldn't manage to, uh, you know, give any well, nuance to and we've Donald just both Pleasance. seen a movie in which they also singularly fail to you know treat a character's death with grace um and then rocky gets on a motorbike and suddenly we're in cobra for a few minutes <laughs> right yes. at this point i was like okay this is the furthest away i've ever seen rocky from <laughs> like it's the furthest away rocky's like ever been from from rocky closest to salon yeah. the furthest away from rocky um and then creed but comes i was gonna say the then you have a pretty good again. scene between him and creed oh. you know, i mean it's really i mean i know i don't know if we've said this before but all these movies are are two act movies mm-hmm. like it's it's very clear when the second act of the movie begins mainly because it's the exact halfway through the run right time. exactly yeah <laughs> Creed comes into the gym, second half of the movie begins, you know... That's not the way to do it. Historically, the opponents are now trainer and fighter. We're into that musical chairs. Um, Creed says, Eye of the Tiger, which means that also exists in the diegesis of the right. movie as so well as the The song the that we've been it's hearing like, for this whole... yeah. What's, it's like, what's... Re- and then Paulie, later on, Paulie plays it on his boot yeah. box. of like, is this in the movie or outside <laughs> the movie? Exactly. Just tell me. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's really... Everything from this point, on, this point onwards with Creed and Rocky... Is great because it, it, at least at this point, never forgets that they are rivals. Mm-hmm. It never softens the relationship between them, or makes out that Creed is doing anything but acting in his own self-interest. Of course, I know. But in the next movie, it's like they've been pals 
since well, birth. But I think that's because of their experience through this movie. Yeah, they have to get through this. Yeah, exactly. They have to get... So um, it's like, so everything that's in that movie is informed by this movie. Which right, again, but it's also that's good character development. Movie. That's, that's... Yeah. Come on. I don't know if I agree. But, but it's okay, because what it shows is this movie has not forgotten where it came from. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a very, very different movie. And then there's racism for a bit. Yeah, we got a, we got a, we got a, we go, we got a, a, a sturdy spoonful of racism to get through. And if you don't know what's coming, if you don't know that racism's coming, Frank Stallone's version of Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On" mm-hmm. uh, is gonna is gonna give you that sort of white privilege treating a African American subject matter. Feel. Polly, Polly will always be there to refer to jungle junk music, and you go, Jesus yeah. Christ, fuck. And another great, another great line um, before their Reaganite reconciliation uh, between Creed and Pauly, uh-huh. when Rocky leans in and says, "It takes about six years to get to know him." Yeah, which is a great which is line, a great joke. also because it, it's a great joke because it's also a meta-textual joke because you know it's been well longer. It's been well, yeah, like six years since the right since this franchise started. Um, again, you know, they're pushing plausibility by having... There's no reason why Adrian should be there. There's no reason why Paulie should be there. Right. Uh, <laughs> because that means but that th- both father and mother have left their child back in Philadelphia alone. And there's not even a robot to look Not even a them. robot to, to take care of that kid. But I think it's, you know, even though they don't need to be there, really... The second half of the movie boils down to Creed and Pauly battling for Rocky's soul. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, but it is leads he, me to... Is he an elegant fighter or a street punk? Yeah. Is basically the rest of this movie. And it turns out he's a street punk. And Pauly was right all along, which is difficult because if Pauly's right about that, is he also right <laughs> about all his racism? No, he's not completely right. He, he no. uses everything that Apollo teaches him to win the fight, but... But uh, it also leads to, you know, there's this thing within him, like the burning desire isn't there. So you, you like he's, he's not clicking into anything Apollo's saying. And yeah. then I think I've alluded to in uh, our ranking episode that this movie has one of my favorite scenes. And the scene for me is the fight with Adrian on the beach. Oh, interesting! I love that scene. I think that scene. This was this was a is point amazing. for me where I referred to this as the weird beach scene. Really? Because Rocky for me doesn't feel like Rocky, and Adrian feels like uh, Connie Corleone. Yeah. Well, yeah, but to me, I know. And the script explains it. it says, "How do you get so tough?" And she says, "I live with a fighter." Right. But again, that's that's another sort of bending over backwards line. Like, why are these guys not the guys we once knew? Because, well, that I think that's what he's saying, though, with this movie. That's why we have the beginning montages. They've changed. He has become more complacent. And now he's he's his complacency has manifested itself into fear. He for the first time in his life, he doesn't believe he can win. And it takes his wife, the person he's most connected to, to say, wake up. Like, just say it. Say what your problem is. And he finally says, I'm afraid. Like, I I buy it more from the Rocky end than the Adrian end. 
I don't think the movie's doing enough to show us how Adrian's character has changed so much. Well, of course not, but... <laughs> well, that, but that, that's why it's a weird scene. That's why I called it a weird beach scene. So, well, I, I, like, I get what you're saying. Like, why is Adrian emotionally stronger than Rocky now? Because she grew up with a, she lives with a fighter. <laughs> they have the line that explains it all, Tom. Don't worry yeah, about I mean, it. I know, but just because they have a list, because a lie doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, so what I've always taken from it is literally that, is that her life living with Rocky has made her a stronger person because they feed off of each other. And so he's taken okay. on her best qualities. She's taken on some of his qualities. Yeah. I wish there was more in the movie to to make that to make that point. Okay, I'll, I'll you know fine. Um, let's talk about Carl Weathers' crop top. <laughs> <laughs> and back in the eighties, believe me, I knew when shorts were short. I really thought you were gonna say the montage was your favorite scene. The trade, the, the Rocky Creed training together montage was your favorite. Well, it's, I mean, I mean, dramatically, but that, that montage is like second to no montages. I mean, it's fucking, it's one of the best, yeah, right? It's, it's great. I mean, it's pure muscle pull. Oh yeah. But appropriate, the, the most appropriate use of slow motion I've ever seen. Exactly right. I was going to ask you what you thought about that slow motion. <laughs> because, for I'm two so reasons, happy. let me let, let me lay this, <laughs> lay this, let me break this down. Uh, okay, so first of all, it adds to the muscle pull, and you get to see those muscles really kind of, you know, gyrating when they're, when they're moving in the slow motion. Mm -hmm. Also, those two guys are moving so fast that in slow-mo, they, they're at normal speed. <laughs> so you're yeah. using slow-mo to show how fast they're right. going. Smart use of slow motion from a secret smart guy. And, you know, throughout this, and this is why, the, again, it's not that these mon it's not because these are montages that they're so good. It's because these guys are pushing themselves harder than they've ever done before. Right. And each movie, they seem to find new ways to, like, test their bodies. Mm -hmm. Um... And, yeah, I got, the only problem with it is he doesn't stay in that crop top for the whole sequence. <laughs> well, the, he's only, he only has the crop top in the false start. Like, when they run, um, yeah. and Rocky just stops. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, uh, it's like, and then he changes into, like, normal clothes. And, oh, I wish he was in the crop top throughout <laughs> this. And I bet, I bet the female and gay contingent of the audience would be the same. I was going to say, just ask Lady Chu how much she likes it, because, you know, she... Well, and, you know, and her I'm love a of Carl Weathers and was, I want to see... Was, uh, I want to see those abs. Yeah, right, you know? right. That's what, this muscle porn, what do you think I'm watching this for? <laughs> Uh, so it's, it's just, again, I mean, what, we're three montages in already, aren't we? Yeah, oh yeah, easy. This is, but this is really, this is, Maybe four. this shouldn't be as standout as it is, but it really is. <laughs> and then we get Mr. T looking into the lens and saying, pain, his prediction. Oh, uh, what is your prediction for the fight? My prediction? Pain. Um, One of the great lines. Uh, and again, this is like the this is another different take on the on the sort of showstopper fight. Well, because it's like only three rounds, 
So there, and I've I've alluded to like real fights before. Like, sure. This one of this, like this, this. I think this fight keys into several fights. One is mm. clearly uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran, because Sugar Ray lost clearly. his first fight to him, and then came back and vexed him so much with his fighting style that Duran literally quit the fight. That's the No Mas fight. But to me, this fight also is very much the three rounds that marvelous Marvin Hagler had against Tommy Hearns, where they just stood in the middle of the ring and beat the shit out of each other for three. Re- it's like the best short fight you've ever seen in your life. And it's amazing. And I think that's part of what this uh, fight was going for. And there's a little bit of like uh, rumble in the jumble with the, uh, you know, rope-a-dope fight. Now that one I've heard. Yeah. Did you just include that as something? Did you just include that for my for benefits? Like, let me <laughs> so give him an easy one. Something you might know. Let's, let's throw. Let's throw Tom a bone. He's been listening for a while. Um. Well, and I don't think we mentioned this with the first night as well. The first fight as well. But um, as important are the pre-match rumble. Oh yeah, because that's what killed Mickey mm-hmm. in the last fight, which is basically. The, the heart of that sequence mm-hmm. is that that's that's where it matters in the drama is that Mickey dies. Um, and here, you know, there's another pre-match rumble, like the fight starts before the fight, which is, you know, the wrestling element. Of but again, it. great joke. I thought which you said what? stay cool. That was cool. <laughs> it's great. Um, and I think, you know, you... Again, you're right. We've seen this in the fights before, but for some reason, the soundscape of the punches and the blocked hearing really puts this set piece over for me. Mm-hmm. As well as seeing these two incredible, you know, athletes in their prime go at each right. other. Um, it's kind of it's it's funny. Like what I just picked out several. Well, the and the editing, the editing of the ducks and the you know the oh. dodges, and I mean. It's visceral. and But there's something interesting dramatically going on in the ring as well with with the sort of the Creed, Pauly, Rocky triangle. Yeah. Um, when Apollo kisses Pauly. Right. So he has this kind of Reaganite reconciliation with the racist guy. It's like, look, we can all get along in Reagan's America yeah. uh, without compromising you know, yeah, exactly. any of our racism. Um, but... Uh, so, but this is a departure too because Rocky always won fights by following Mickey's strategy. Right. Whereas here, he Creed's strategy is flawed, and he breaks from it because he senses something in the fight mm-hmm. about Clubber. He something psychologically he can use against Clubber that Creed doesn't understand, but Paulie instinctively understands what he's doing. Right. So. I don't know. This it's 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 very it's like compelling on a lot of levels. It's not just the sheer, um, you know, the 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 brute force and the and the choreography and the editing. There is like there's something interesting going on dramatically. It does undermine Creed a little bit. Well, yeah, and so if going back to the race idea, you have like the black man <laughs> yeah. has to become subservient well, to the white man way. and try and yeah. build him back up and like rebuild yeah. him and then the white man ignores the black man <laughs> does his own thing to become champion again so 
Yeah, there's that there's that element. I think just as as a character again, like um you know, Stallone is a secret smart guy, but Rocky isn't. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this is more of this is Stallone in the ring. <laughs> Cuz he's he's outwitting Lang. Right. Which I don't know that it's not the most plausible part of this movie. Well, and also that, because that he could do that whilst being punched repeatedly in yeah, the Yeah, exactly. So he's um, but also I don't see Clubber Lang tiring out <laughs> in round 3. No. So that also is not very plausible. That that is true. And you know, um, they go to great pains. <laughs> I actually said after all after all the kind of uh, absurdity of this movie, this was the part I thought had gone too far that that Rocky does something smart <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> that he's able to outwit another fighter is a bit of a departure. And that somehow Creed isn't, even though his whole game is it's based, based on being the smartest person in the ring. Right. Right. Uh, but what's also interesting here is that this is the first time that the fight is not the f- finale of the movie. Yeah. Uh but a fight is God. Another fight. Another fight. But what a what a finale too. <laughs> you think you think one. You think you're done with the fights, and then you get a closed door fight rematch between. That leads us right into our painting from Leroy. Come on, it's great. <laughs> I don't like that painting. How dare you? And I don't like. I don't like that being on the credits. It doesn't. Again, that feels pure like pure Stallone, not <laughs> Rocky. Um. And that, but the the closed door fight is great, you know. After all, you know, making Rocky and Creed still the main event is a really nice nod to the tradition of the series. Yeah, right. Um, the fact that it's the first time we've ended after the title bout, it's a totally new dimension to the to the film, and speaks to the fact that you know this movie is up the ante with having multiple fights instead of one mm-hmm. fight spread spread the fights like butter across the movie. Um and it ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Which is a new th- which is new. A cliffhanger that will never be resolved. Well, and every time I see which it Which is Dave pure David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> Secret smart guy. <laughs> well, and every time uh, I, I mean, see but it But you assume you'll find out in the next movie, right? Yeah. yeah. You're watching this. Every time I see it my first thought is I mean, they both must have just crumbled to the floor because they're both right on each other's chins. It just looks like <laughs> a terrible act of violence that both of them had to go through. But, but that I mean, the the if you if you take a step back and think about that, that this is also the first Rocky movie that's ending on a moment of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. This this don't write this movie off, guys. Uh, that's I'm it on will, your side. It will make you. It will make you want to, but don't. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, go go ahead. I was just gonna say because I ranked this one second to last, uh, yeah. but only because I'm insane enough to love Rocky Four as much as I do, and it jumped so far up on my list. But I I, I just I couldn't put this ahead of Rocky well, Two. Well, this is only third on my list. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but as you stated at the beginning of this episode, 
You might not be giving Rocky IV quite as much credit as you should. Actually, I think in talking through this movie, I feel completely justified putting it where, where okay. I have. And <laughs> may, may, not that, and it's really difficult. I, I, this is such a strong series. Yeah. But this movie's got it going on in ways that I hadn't contemplated before. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, again, speaking to the fact that, you know, this is a new kind of Rocky movie, we get much less made of, well, obviously, we don't know how long after the fight these two are going into the ring together. But it seems like some time has passed, right. but probably not enough for it to be realistic. Yeah, exactly. Um well, and, and time is going to become a real issue with the next two movies, so... Right. But but in the previous two movies, there was so much made of the physical and mental damage to Rocky yeah. post-fight. And here, it doesn't seem to be an issue. No, no, no. Because we're, we're in the 80s. Because get back into the ring. Because we're in the 80s. Everything's good. <laughs> and, th- and then we hit the 90s, and it's all about brain yeah. damage. Uh... Right now, it's all <laughs> champagne and cocaine. Like, let's go. Right. So we end on that freeze frame. We get the get the painting. All right, I suppose. Come on. Suppose it, you know, this movie's all about painting. Um, <laughs> and a very very brief credit check. I mean, I I there's not much to say. Frank Stallone once again is rearing his ugly on head. The soundtrack. Yeah. And is also one of the sparring partners. Yes. Yeah. Um, which again gives me that image of him hanging around the set. Hey, just... get over here! You're like, just the first <laughs> go person stand over by that trash can and now fight me. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really you can tell these guys are brothers. I mean, he, he, he bullies him like a brother. It's great. Um, so that's that's all I had for the the um, the credit check. I think it's a magnificent movie. I really enjoyed watching it again. Every time I watch it, I see something that impresses me more. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun piece of eighties trash. Mm-hmm. If you want to turn your brain off, absolutely, and not want to think about it metaphilmically. Oh. <laughs> my uh, my younger brother is going to be thrilled when he's like to see this episode come up. <laughs> I think he sent me a text, like maybe eight months ago that said, why haven't you done the greatest movie ever put on film yet? Where's Thunderlips? <laughs> he calls the movie Thunderlips? Yeah. <laughs> How great is that? All right. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, we have thoroughly hashed out Rocky Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so call in Andrew Schantz or... <laughs> Matthew Aldrich. Tell... I imagine those will be very different calls. Yeah, right? <laughs> All right. If you have... This one message is 10 seconds. <laughs> this other one is 20 minutes. <laughs> one is a real tirade. <laughs> if you have something to add to the Rocky Three conversation, by all means, please send us an email. Find us on Instagram. Uh, Facebook or Twitter, send that email to the everything sequel podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Where does Rocky three lie in your ranking? Is it a good movie or a bad movie? We know what two people think. We want to know what the rest of you think. So uh, let us know uh, for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. I am Michael Shantz of the How Dare You Awards. 
What have you got for him, Tom? I've seen wrestlers big as dinosaurs. You ever fight a dinosaur, kid? It can cause a variety of damage. <laughs> what I like is you're doing a perfect impression and yet still sounds penguin. <laughs> 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 All the Burgess Meredith characters just kind of roll, roll into, into one, one, yeah, to one uh, delicious cinnamon bun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. Rocky Four will be coming at you soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>